0: Brian Peterson is taking care of things
1: right now. Down the sideline. If he can get loose, he's gone. Illigui will score. The Wesley Fields.
0: Touchdown, Georgia Southern.
1: All right, Georgia Southern fans, welcome to another episode of Georgia Southern Extra. I'm Travis Shadon, the beat writer for Georgia Southern Athletics at the Savannah Morning News and SavannahNow.com. We're joined today on this episode by Mike Anthony of the Statesboro Herald, the Statesboro Herald Sports Editor, and the Georgia Southern Beat Writer as well. Uh, Today we'll talk about some big news, kind of, I guess, the J.D. King eligibility uh, saga is over, and Free King is done, finally resolved, with the announcement of J.D. King's uh, 2019 season being a thing now. Uh, It was granted by the NCAA after nearly six months of us wondering, waiting, and, and some reporting was done as well. So we'll talk about JD King, we'll get you guys all squared away on what it means, what we think um, its ultimate impact will be. Uh, Then Mike and I will jump into uh, some fall camp discussion now that fall camp is complete, uh, and talk about what we saw from the first two scrimmages and kind of practices and just, you know, our general thoughts heading into, as we're getting closer and closer to game week really. Um, And then finally, we'll we'll end the show by having a a hopefully brief discussion on the Associated Press preseason poll and the idea that it kind of skews the rankings toward Power 5 programs uh, based off of, you know, it's not little to no information, it's no information because the the teams haven't played any games yet. So we'll talk about that kind of and see how it relates to Georgia Southern a little bit. Uh, But first, we'll welcome on Mike Anthony. Mike, how are
0: you? Uh, Pretty good. How about you? Doing well,
1: man. I, I, we won't bring up the Phillies at all on this episode, right?
0: <laughs> I mean, as we're recording this, they're winning their game, so we've got that going for us. Well, let's all cross our fingers
1: for your Phillies, my man. Um, let's, uh, first, I want to get off a couple quick announcements. Um, George Southern will practice Friday uh, in Savannah at 5 o'clock at Memorial Stadium. Uh, this should run about two, two and a half hours in total, not the practice, but the Savannah fan test as well. Fans will have um, an opportunity to get autographs uh, from Coach Lunsford and plenty of the players uh, as well and kind of have an opportunity to get all your posters and your magnets and, and schedules and things like that. So if you're in the Savannah area yeah, listening to this, you're obviously a Georgia Southern fan in Savannah. So get out to Memorial Stadium on Friday night, uh, August 23rd, and check out the Eagles as they practice. Gates will open at 5 o'clock at Memorial Stadium, and it is free entirely free. Um, so Georgia Southern actually played their first game uh, at Memorial Stadium in 1984. Some of you guys may be familiar with the quarterback in that game, Tracy Hamm. So wanted to let you guys know about an opportunity to see Georgia Southern in Savannah. Uh, on Monday night when J.D. King's news first broke, uh, I was actually in the middle of trying to work on some other news regarding Georgia Southern. Uh, lesser important news uh, I think we can all agree, but still news nonetheless. True freshman quarterback Jaden Jenkins announced his quote-unquote retirement from football um, via Facebook post and, and kind of laid out reasons why uh, health issues, chronic health issues, and issues he's been dealing with for a while in his spine and neck and shoulder, he said, so I wanted to pass them off that news to you guys. If you didn't see it already on SavannahNow.com, Also, uh, just to update, you guys have had some people emailing and and tweeting asking for updates on Brian Miller. Uh, I I can say this, and Mike, I'll let you speak on this too if you want. uh, I can say it doesn't look very good at all when a guy is tweeting pictures of himself in a hospital bed. That tends to mean surgery, and and surgery would not lead me to believe that he'll be back anytime soon. But we should have... Something soon on Brian Miller, the right tackle from Savannah Memorial Day. Uh, Mike, have you heard anything about Brian Miller? And and I guess generally, you know, what would you expect? Without us having really known much yet, what would you expect out of Miller? Yeah,
0: I mean, officially, you know, the word is just that he sustained an injury. And, uh, you know, you hear some chatter from uh, uh, some teammates, some fellow offensive linemen that, you know, it's not great, but – Like you said, you can speculate so far from what you've seen. Um, But, yeah, I would assume that probably just the way, you know, Georgia Southern's done some injury things in the past, uh, you know, they'll keep it quiet as long as they can. And then when you get the, uh, you know, time to announce the starting lineup and play the games, then you're probably going to hear something about how, you know, he's injured or not expected to return. You know, again, don't want to speculate, but we all saw what you saw. It's not like his – Twitter accounts private or anything so uh, you know you don't want to speculate one way or the other but I, you know you you don't want to see anybody in a hospital bed uh, that, that not only speculate that they might be in the hospital but they might be in there for more than a, more than a quick visit yeah for sure and that's the same thing I was thinking and Mike you were next
1: to me when we were talking to Jacob Cooper um, last Saturday after George Southern second scrimmage when he said that uh, about Brian having a bad injury just kind of the way he said it. This made me cringe a little bit. So, but, you know, like you said, that's all speculation, which is what we're here for on this podcast, I guess. But let's jump into J.D. King, Mike. You ready? Yep.
0: Go for it.
1: Cool. So J.D. King is eligible, folks. And I think it is just really, really incredible news for this program and this team. It's not too much to say that this changes kind of the direction Uh, of that backfield. Now you go from having Logan Wright and Matt LaRoche, two guys I think Mike and I are both high on. A lot of you guys listening have liked what you've seen out of those guys and minimal carries uh, their first two years on campus. But now you go from having those guys as your bell cow backs to having those guys as, you know, they're still going to be heavily involved in the game plan and you're going to see a lot of carries. But now you have them as kind of the next tier below King theoretically, and that makes your backfield just really loaded. I know it's easy to lump Wes Kennedy in there, uh, in the backfield, but as we have said, you know, hundreds of times on this podcast, I'll never consider Wes Kennedy along the same lines as Matt LaRoche and Logan Wright, because he's a different player, different skill sets. And I don't think that JD King's backfield arrival in 2019 is really going to impact, uh, how many touches Wes Kennedy gets. It might impact a little bit how he gets those touches. We know Bob DeVess and Munsford just want to get him opportunities with the ball in his hand, X number of opportunities per game. They're not so worried about how those uh, touches come uh, on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, Mike, when you first heard about J.D. King's news on Monday night, uh, I guess what were your thoughts and kind of now that you've had uh, about 24 hours to digest it. Uh, what are your thoughts
0: on that announcement long term? Well, my thoughts are that any defensive coordinator playing Georgia Southern this year pretty much knows that uh, if they're trailing in the fourth quarter of the game, it's going to turn into a long quarter because now you've got a couple of guys clocking in over 200 pounds and uh, uh, right and King, not to mention uh, Cunningham, who's been getting a little bit of love, got himself a feature on the website. They right. seem to be liking how he's coming along, but Georgia Southern's backfield does not look like the Georgia Southern backfields of old where you have one kind of shorter bowling ball guy. Now you got, you know, legitimately taller, bigger guys. You've got plenty of speed in guys like Kennedy and LaRoche. And, uh, you know, again, when it comes down to it, if you're going for those tough yards at the end of the game, tough yards in a short yardage situation, you already had Logan Wright and now you just get that much deeper in a guy in, uh, JD King who, Maybe if you're looking at him from the stands, doesn't look like a total power back. But man, you and I have seen him, and I'm sure hundreds, if not thousands, of other Eagle fans have seen him in spring and in the scrimmages. When he gets going downfield, that's a good Georgia Southern defense he's running against, and he just carries some of those guys.
1: Yeah, I mean he certainly looks the part. Mike, have you? I guess this might be reaching a little bit, but I've thought about this a little bit. Pretty unique the way. Georgia Southern as a program has handled this whole situation. And I thought on Monday night when J.D. King uh, was, when his eligibility was first announced around 7 p.m. on Monday, August 19th, it was announced, uh, and I use air quotes around the word announced, it, it was announced by the program with kind of a, a, you know, a cheeky tweet, if you will, that that more news was coming, but, he, you know, he's eligible. And then you saw a bunch of, you know, there was a bunch coming out of official accounts from Georgia Southern on Twitter and Facebook, Gather Lifestyle, really, really hyping this eligibility thing, which, which I think is, you know, perfectly fine. I guess this is a roundabout way of asking if you ever thought that Georgia Southern kind of the team mentality, the team first thing, do you ever, did you ever think that they would hype this announcement as much as they did? You know what I mean,
0: Mike getting on here well i think it's uh, I think it's a two tiered thing you know uh, uh, of course, you know everybody knows how much j d can help this team and help him right now, and so it would have been a big letdown if you've got a guy who obviously can help you right now that's forced to sit on the sidelines, but on top of that, he's not a guy who just showed up at the beginning of the uh, uh, training camp a couple of weeks ago and he's wowing some people, and everybody's on the the hype train. He's a guy who he transferred the early. He got here early. He was here for spring. So, you know, he's part of, they always talk about the brotherhood. They always talk about, you know, being a family. So he's been grinding with them the whole way. And those guys, they support one another. They're in there in the weight room. They're in the training room. They're on the practice field. So I really think that, you know, not only do they know he can help them, but they also are just appreciative to the guy who's been putting in the work and doing everything and training like he was going to be there on uh, uh, week one, even though there were a lot of speculation out there that it wouldn't be. I think that all those guys, you know, showing up on Twitter, showing their appreciation, they're excited for what he can do to help them. But I think that they're also genuinely excited for him, that he put in that work, and now he gets to go out and actually do it in games account.
1: count. Yeah, Mike, you touched on uh, Andrew Cunningham a few minutes ago. Do you think – I mean, well, let me tell you what I do. I think guys like Andrew Cunningham and maybe even LaRoche and Wright you, you're allowed to feel and think two things at one time, you know? So if I'm a guy like Cunningham, it is a little disheartening when you learn the news that it is a JD King is eligible. Now I don't want that to come off as Andrew Cunningham doesn't want what's best for Georgia Southern. That's not what I'm saying, but it is, you're not allowed to be like, man, you know, any opportunity I had to kind of be what Logan Wright was last year as, as you know, the third, uh, or, or fourth back, you know, maybe 20, 25 carries across the season. Was, mm-hmm. That tended, I mean, that probably, the percentages of that probably went down uh, when King was eligible. But like I said, you can feel that way and not let it impact anything in your life or anything on the team and, and just keep going about your business. I have a feeling that's what the entire Georgia Southern backfield will do, but. It, I, I thought it was an interesting thing
0: to think about, Mike, at least. Well, I'll, I'll put it this way. You know, two weeks ago, we were wondering who might be taking snaps in Baton Rouge. Would it be Tomlin? Would it be Frazier? And while, you know, I'm sure that they went to bed some of those nights thinking it might be me there, do you really think, have you seen anything from them that says that they're disheartened that Chiwerts is – uh uh, you know, now eligible again, and slated to be starting in that game. No, but here's the so, difference. So. No, but but it, look, here's the difference, though. So Tomlin and Frazier,
1: if we're all honest with ourselves, they were they were not they would not be ready for that moment in time. Mm-hmm. I mean, Wright and LaRoche and and I think Cunningham would have been ready to to take carries. I mean, that's not a, that's not the same thing as running an offense under center. You know, that's not really here nor there. But I just thought it was it was interesting enough. Um, to bring up it, and to think about it at least the bottom line on J.D. King for me is that you've now added uh, probably the most raw talent that you've ever added. Certainly the most raw talent you've ever added uh, at, you know, in late to mid-August, for sure.
0: Yeah, they've definitely never had anybody get added a week and a half before the first game like that. And again, to touch on Cunningham, yeah, you know, he could be a little disappointed, but with his position or any other position you're one play away from being a step or two higher up on that uh, depth chart so you know it is what it is everybody's gonna like I said everybody was so excited that JD got eligible and he wouldn't have to sit out I, I'm sure that everybody you, you know they respect that because of the work you put in well if you're the guy who gets knocked down a peg on the depth chart then it's up to you to put in that work so that you know, God forbid something happens, and you know you're the next man up. That everybody supports you and is behind you because you've been putting in that work too.
1: Yep. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm going to tell on that one. So let's move on to some of our thoughts from camp. Um, Mike and I were both at the second scrimmage uh, for Georgia Southern, which took place um, last Saturday uh, in Statesboro at Paulson Stadium. I thought, you mm-hmm. know, everyone handles kind of the preseason format differently. At, from what it looked like to me, Mike, and you can speak on this in just a second, from scrimmage one to scrimmage two, I think scrimmage one, it was, it was what it was. You know, It wasn't perfect. It wasn't that clean. And a lot of the first team guys weren't taking the reps that obviously they'll take in the season. That's kind of generally understood, I feel like. But in the second scrimmage, it looked to me almost like a third preseason game in the NFL, where you really have... It's almost like a dress rehearsal. I mean, works. uh, a lot of the first team offensive line, uh, the first team defense, um, they were on the field a lot in the second scrimmage, so we got to kind of glean a a lot more information out of it, I thought. Um, For me, you know, and I wrote about this coming out of the scrimmage, it was nice to see the offense look a little different and kind of show some of those different sets, and I wrote you know, in the lead of that scrimmage story about the five wide formation, I, I want to clarify right here, right now, that I don't expect Georgia Southern to go five
0: wide. You're giving uh, people heart attacks as you speak by saying that.
1: <laughs> well, listen, I think it's cool, and, it's, and it's, it is it's telling that they are working on things like that. Now, things like that, formations like that, is what Bob DeVess was talking about a year and a half ago when he got this job. That this is what he envisions Georgia Southern becoming, and by that I mean that you have the ability to do a lot more. You won't if you're running what they ran last year, uh, uh, under sixty plays a game. You, you might see it, you know, once or twice. And so when you think about right. it, like that. But to
0: add on to that, I would also say that you know, if if you're actually going to show something like that, you're right. You might only run it a couple times all year, but. To me, especially coming from a veteran coordinator like uh, DeBest, if they're even showing that even in a practice game and don't have any intention of doing it anytime soon, to me that says that he's at least comfortable enough with what he's seen from things he does expect to do a lot of that you would even run that out there. You know how coaches can get. They get crazy about every single rep. So if you would waste – if you want to call it wasting it, if you want to waste even one or two reps on something that no one was expecting – that to me is good news because it means that you're pretty confident in what you've seen out of the things that you're going to be doing a lot of. Yeah, that's
1: that's a really good point. I, I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, you wouldn't, I don't think you would even get to that portion of, like, if you think about, um, you know, last year we heard all about how they, there's uh, maybe only 20% of the offense uh, that Bob DeVest has in his, you know, offensive mind w- was uh, able to be run. By Georgia Southern at that point, and that wasn't altogether surprising. And and we think about it in the, like a long timeline, you know, a long horizontal timeline. If now they're that far up, where you're inserting a couple of formations that are that are five wide esque, in other words, like really different looking than what you're used to. You've come a long way down that line, I feel like, and, and that can only be good for Georgia Southern.
0: And I'll also add off of, you know, us talking about J.D. King's eligibility, that regardless of who it takes reps away from or adds reps to, you talked about, you know, Wesley Kennedy and how you didn't exactly uh, portray him as a running back the same as a Logan Wright or a LaRoche or a a King. But I I think that that helps and that it makes him more dynamic. And I don't know exactly how deep the bestest playbook goes, but when you've got a guy like that who everybody's got to account for – Well, to me, the addition of King uh, being able to have two, three, four dependable running backs that don't have to be Wesley Kennedy as it was at times last year, that to me means you can add another couple formations. You can put them in motion. You can put them in spots that you weren't able to last year because you've got dependable guys that can be a running back option and make him be a guy that's farther away from the ball that it's a little harder to account for before the snap. Yeah, and and to be clear, if they want to pass it
1: more – and they said that they want to have the ability to pass it more. We know that much. Right? And more meaning maybe a dozen times a game instead of five times a game. It's not like mm-hmm. they're going to throw it a lot. But I'm saying, you know, if you do have the ability to throw it more, you can throw it under shotgun with three running backs and two. Like you can throw it out of any formation you want. But now I think maybe, like, it, you know, if you're down 10 with three minutes to go and the ball you could go to a five wide thing theoretically and and at least have that ability. You see what I'm saying, Mike?
0: Right. Yeah, it it definitely helps to have that option of not having to confuse people out of the backfield and just have guys who can line up and go downfield and be able to try to get open and get downfield a lot faster. Yeah, they certainly have the talent in the receiving
1: room to warrant, uh, you know, thinking about the passing game at least. Uh, So that's kind of one part of, you know, the formatting of the offense, if you will. One thing that I thought about a lot last year, and I, I still don't know that it's a good thing, a bad thing, or a relevant thing, but it is a thing, is that Georgia Southern doesn't run a lot of plays at all. Uh, when I say that, I mean that there is no one in the country last year that ran fewer plays uh, again. Now they still were just fine on offense. I guess, my for you, big picture, not just at Georgia Southern, does it matter to you? Uh, how many plays a team runs per game, you know, as far as their tempo, how quickly they're they're snapping it. Um, Does that kind of stuff matter to you as long as the ball's moving forward?
0: Well, you just said it. if the ball's moving forward, if you're getting points on the board, then, you know, a lot of people are going to be content to let you go at your own pace. I will say that I think that year one and yet another new system, some of these guys are on their third offensive system in as many years, so I kind of get why it was slowed down even later in the year. There's just a lot to, to unpack from one offense and repack in another. So I think that when you see the bigger plays start to break, that's when you'll see the plays start to get a little quicker. The more comfortable they get, the quicker they'll get. I don't think that you're ever going to see this Georgia Southern team or next year's Georgia Southern team be in that lightning mode that so many teams have gone to where they're trying to run 90, 100 snaps a game. That's just not who Georgia Southern is, you know, it's such a uh, an intricate offense and there's a lot more going on before the snap than a lot of people think. So that takes a little bit of time to to kind of get those reads, especially if they're trusting shy to do more before the snap. So let him make those reads, make the decisions pre-snap. So I don't think you're ever going to see a lightning quick offense. I do think that you'll see them would it be a bold prediction to say they won't be dead last in plays run game this year? Because I don't think they will be. Well, I don't know if it's bold, Mike, but that was a prediction. Is <laughs> it, it bold to around, have a step man. up from 130 to 129 or better? That would, yeah, that would be bold. I thought last year it was <laughs> funny that
1: the, the University of Florida, who Georgia Southern fans are really familiar with, uh, Georgia Southern and Florida were kind of neck and neck, if you will, for that last place spot, but Again, Georgia Southern won that battle uh, over mm-hmm. Florida and, and finished lower than them, which was the goal, I would hope. All right, Georgia Southern fans, we have a new offer for you guys at SavannahNow.com. We want you guys to check it out. It's a newsletter focused on Georgia Southern athletics and Georgia Southern athletics only. This is a free opportunity for you guys to get caught up on all the latest news on the Eagles, whether it be on the football field. Basketball court, baseball field, or what have you. But go join the mailing list for the newsletter. And this is how you do it go to savannanow.com and look on the right side of the homepage. Click Get Our Newsletters and go from there. The newsletter will have a blog post once a week, as well as other relevant Georgia Southern stories, opportunities to subscribe to the podcast, and other insider notes that you can't find anywhere else. Subscribe today. one part of tempo, like, uh, I think plays per game is, is one part of tempo. Another part of tempo is what you touched on uh, just a few moments ago in shy words, having more uh, leeway at the line and kind of having more responsibility. That part of tempo is more important to me in this. When a play is over and you're in the huddle, uh, last year Georgia Southern did not get to the line very quickly uh, as far as how much time is left on the play clock. And so that part of tempo is something, I think, if you're giving Words more responsibility at the line, give them a little more time at the line, too, and kind of get in and out. Do you think in year two of this offense, I guess, you know, it's a pretty experienced unit for sure, maybe not as experienced up front, but in the second year of this offense, they should be a little quicker out of the huddle uh, to give Words a little more time to scan the defense now that it's in and out, and you kind of know what what's coming if you're you know, returning Georgia Southern
0: player. Well, I think it's going to have to be. You know, of course, in a, a game like LSU and maybe uh, uh, Minnesota where you're going up against maybe a little bit bigger, quicker yeah, defense, right left, M- maybe you pull the reins in a little bit. But I, I think that when it comes to conference play, when it comes to games that Georgia Southern expects to win, you know, if they have as much faith in themselves as they say that they do, then you have no choice but to, you know, take the take the reins off a little bit and let shy go. You talk about – whether it's a quarterback or anybody else, the whole point that the coaching staff talks about is to develop those guys from the day they get in until the the day they leave. So if you trust them enough to have them out there on the field, then you should trust them enough that they've learned from one year to the next and have grown from one year to the next, that they can implement the things that you've been drilling into them every day in practice. So I think that at least early in the season, you have to give them the chance to show that he can do more. He can, he can be responsible for more and, you know, if you have to go back to the drawing board in the middle of the season and figure out some things that aren't going well, then you do that. But until then, I think you have to give him the chance to show that he's progressed. He certainly did that from his richer freshman year to last season. I mean, from 2-10 and 10 to 10-3, and three, it wasn't all shy, but there was definitely huge improvements on his part. So, you know, why, why wouldn't you give him the chance to show that he's taken another step this year? Yeah, I'm with you on that. Let's
1: jump one more thing on the offense, and then uh, we'll, we'll... – discuss the defense for a few minutes. Mike, the only thing for me left on the offensive line uh, before Brian Miller's injury was possibly uh, true freshman um, Javante McGriff and kind of where he it would end up slotting. That's kind of the only thing left that I was really watching. It seems like Jared Leeds has locked down the left tackle position. Um, but but now now it's a little bit different. And for the sake of this conversation, like, let's assume Brian Miller, I don't want to ever say out for the season because I don't want to like jinx him.
0: I, 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 I think it'd be safe to say that, that no one's expecting him to play in a week and a half.
1: Okay, for sure. So let's let's assume that this offensive line conversation is without Brian Miller, no matter what length of time. Okay? So I think now I'm looking at right tackle, obviously, and more importantly is – more importantly than who's playing there, it's where that person is coming from and where what the, what spot they're vacating to move over or to move to right tackle, either up the depth chart or over from a different position. Right now, it mm-hmm. seems like Drew Wilson. Um, and, and since Drew Wilson played uh, before I began covering this team, I, I have known very little about Drew Wilson. He didn't play last year. I, I'm guessing and assuming that that was injury. What do you know about Drew Wilson, Mike, and, and for you, do you think that he's the front runner at, at right
0: tackle now? Well, he definitely has a chance. Um, you know, he was in a tough spot. He started early on. He, he looked like he was going to be uh, an entrenched part of the line for years. And then last year he had a freak uh, uh, eye injury. I don't want to get into too many details, but it definitely well, took like, him out for the like, year. Like, was, was he right tackle
1: when he played uh, –
0: to, to, yeah, uh, he had shifted around a little bit, but he had played some right tackle. Oh, and, uh, you know, he's definitely an option there. Um, you know, I think really what it comes down to is the the benefit that Georgia Southern has because uh, they play, you know, a little bit smaller line, a little bit more versatile line in an option running offense. It means that all of the linemen are probably a little bit better suited to shift around. However, the other side of that coin is... Because that line has to work so well as a unit, it's a lot better off when you've got a set five guys at a set five positions and you're not having to move pieces around. So I really think that the race is on here in the next week and a half to, to set up, if not a definite guy that's going to play uh, the entire game at right tackle you know, to at least have just two guys and, and know that you can count on those two guys there barring any more injuries. You really just want to keep that line as intact as possible and not be shuffling guys around because at the end of the day, they've all got to, on most plays, move as one unit and really, really work together. So you don't want one guy bouncing from left to right and from inside to outside uh, from game to game.
1: Philosophically, a lot of the Georgia Southern crucial running plays, and by crucial I mean kind of the the staples and and the thing that you're hoping to get – three, four, five yards per carry. Or a lot of those plays came off right tackle last year. I, I'm wondering, do you kind of adjust uh, your your tendencies there without Brian Miller? Or, you know, if me or you were at right tackle, do they still kind of just be who they are? I've heard next man up about a billion times. Um, and, you know, I get the sentiment. But, you know, let's be real. Next man up is fine as well, but the next man up might not be what the, the the first man out was. You know what I mean? So I guess I wonder if they're going to adjust direction of kind of those staples and kind of who they'll run behind. I guess Jacob Cooper would be another guy that you could really focus on, but him playing center doesn't lend itself a lot to just running directly behind him.
0: Yeah. And, uh, you definitely make a good point. Uh, you know everybody knows who their best linemen are and you don't want them to go down because more often than not you can run behind them better than anyone else but I I guess again going back to Georgia Southern the unique offense they run if there's any offense suited to adjust to not being able to depend on one side or one gap to run into it would probably be an option offense that utilizes a lot of motion you can use that motion and misdirection to kind of catch defense is leaning so I would think that uh you know maybe who knows maybe they just motion better they read better to that right side uh last year and that was a reason why runs off right tackle went better not taking anything away from you not an offensive coordinator I don't know what the reason was but I'm just saying that I think that uh, especially with an experienced offensive coordinator and his system is the best he's probably a little bit better suited to uh to adjust to having a starting rate tackle go down two weeks before the season starts than, say, you know, a set I-formation team that just power runs, isos inside the tackles? Yeah, I'm with you, Mike. So
1: on the defensive side of the ball, we're starting to kind of, you know, see what it was going to be. I think, obviously, there were, you know, less question marks on the front line across the starting 11 on the defense. But, you know, we've touched on it. You know kind of all off season, the safety position, and for me, the second scrimmage uh, you know, it didn't give me a lot of definitive answers, but it kind of started to shape what I think it'll look like. It looks like, and again, this is you know, still 10 11 days out, it does look like it'll probably be to start Daryl Baker, uh, and uh, K- Kinder Duncan Jr. So, Mike, if that were the case. I guess, you know, how comfortable would you be having those two guys as your go-to safeties? And do you think, you know, I I guess at any point during the year, I'm not sure that it will ever be what Freeman and Moon were, and if Freeman and Moon were healthy, those were going to be the safeties for, you know, all 75 plays of uh, of the defensive game, Uh, And you know, unless something went wrong. This year, I'm not sure that it will ever be just two guys back there for you know, ninety-nine percent of the plays, I think it will be kind of a, a grouping of three. Maybe you can include Donald Rutledge in that, and and, and then um, th- there are multiple freshmen uh, on the back end that they like. I don't know if the first three weeks lend you to uh, kind of using those guys and, and roles like that. But I guess for you, like the safety spot—how do you see it shaking up now that we're now that we're ten, eleven days out?
0: Well, well, the one thing that you know is that they're going to get tested because everybody knows what's on the outside of the Georgia Southern defense. And, yeah, you know, LSU fans, I'm sure that they think that uh, their receivers can just beat anybody no matter who it is that lines up the corner. But I think the Georgia Southern fans are just as confident that uh, uh, that Brinson and uh, Vildor can, can shut down or at least slow down anybody. So, And I think that other coaches respect that too. So you're going to get tested up the middle. You saw it last year. There were a couple games, especially Troy and uh, UL Monroe, where Georgia Southern's weak spot was deep over the middle. And, you know, you said it came with two experienced safeties, but they were both dealing with some injuries at times. And the silver lining of that, even though it might have hurt them bad in those two games, is that it did give some more experience to guys like Daryl Baker and to uh, Kendrick Duncan. So, really, if you're looking at two guys with as much experience, as Freeman and Moon had moving out of the program in the same year, it's really pretty lucky that you've got two other guys in Baker and Duncan with as much experience as they have coming in. Not to say, as you said, that they'll be at the same level, but I really think that uh, they're probably going to be as well suited for their first game for two guys starting in both the safety spots for the first time or at least going into the season as starters for the first time as you could hope for. Baker definitely made some plays and dunking at times last year, especially when the injuries cropped up. He really showed the ability to, you know, he had some all-conference-level games, uh, you know, it's a matter to see if he can keep that up as a starter. But I I just really think that if those guys come into their own, you know, it'll help if they get the help that they expect to get from the corners and have a little bit of pressure taken off of them in the pass game. But, you know, if they can settle in, I really think they can be, if not on the same level as uh, Moon and Freeman, they can definitely be a quality pair of safeties.
1: Not to bring up old wounds, but I, I do think last year at ULM, just Southern loses that game no matter what. Lunch uh, has said it a, a bunch of times. They they weren't ready to play with that kind of a target on their back. So I don't want to pretend like it was just the safeties that kind of cost them that game. Uh, it was their lack of being able to tackle. Uh, it was, you know, words that, from what I can recall, that was the only bad game Shy to had last season. Um, and then the next week at uh, versus Troy, Troy played really, really, really well that game. And Troy was a really good football team last year. So I don't think that either was something that was too, uh, you know, embarrassing or shocking or damning, uh, you know, to last year's team. But, you know, to close out uh, for my camp thoughts, Mike, I think it's clear. That this team is a better team than last year's team in the sense that there is more talent, more or less, everywhere. Um, And I think, you know, it's not also, I think it's just as obvious that this year's schedule is more difficult. So, you know, if if you're a thinking fan, and I think a lot of the people uh, listening to this podcast are are the smartest fans in the world, I think uh, you can kind of. Adjust your expectations based off of those two things. This is a better team and this is a much tougher schedule. So, you know, win totals and and, and things like that, I think, need to be adjusted, but you can still have a better year, uh, a more successful year um, without necessarily winning more games this season. Uh, Mike, does that make sense
0: for you? Uh, absolutely. I mean, I guess to put it more layman's terms, if you had the give a Madden rating to last year's team versus this year's team, I would take this year's team in a heartbeat. But, yeah, uh, all schedules aren't made the same, especially in college football. And This one, you know, you'd be kidding yourself if you said that uh, playing uh, Clemson on the road but then getting App and Troy at home is the same as playing LSU on the road, Minnesota on the road, App on the road, Troy on the road, Arkansas State on the road. That's a little bit different monster.
1: Mike, if you were if you were rated by Madden, what do you think your highest attribute points would be?
0: Um, do they have um, water delivery ability? I'm a good cowboy. I could be a good yes, water boy. Okay. I would say awareness. I'm usually pretty aware of my athletic shortcomings. I'm very aware of them. There you go, Mikey memory. and If they had a memory
1: rating, yeah, that's a 99 at least. That's right. <laughs> All right, let's uh, – Let's jump to one last thing here. I, w- I wanted to touch on this, um, and this isn't necessarily Georgia Southern-centric, but it does relate to them in a way. The AP poll was released, and, and um, I'm going to run down all 25 teams real quick. Yeah, just, just kidding, guys. I wouldn't do that to you. But you guys either have seen the poll, um, or you if you haven't seen the poll, just think about who you think would be in the top 15, and it's probably those exact 15 teams. I mean, it is a very, very uh, blue blood poll. It always is, um, and and this is the preseason AP poll. Now we're talking about not after week five or any point in the season, but it is a preseason poll that is very blue blooded. And you know, I I would think that if you are an AP voter in the preseason, you you do it to avoid you know making a mistake to avoid. Looking bad or, or feeling, you know, guilty. I guess for for taking a chance and throwing App State at number twenty three, or or something like that. You know what I mean? Mike? So if you're putting, you know, I think the poll gets it largely right, but a lot of the conversation that I've seen since its release has been revolve, revolving around um, the idea that. Group of five teams, um, and, and in a way, lower power five teams. And when I say lower, I mean lower in terms of their status and kind of you know their historical standing. Uh, I think you don't see a lot of those teams in the poll, and a lot of people um, believe, and I don't think I feel one way or the other. But a lot of people believe that that puts group of five teams at a disadvantage if they don't start uh, at. You know, ten, and instead they, st- or I mean, if they don't start at like twenty-five, and instead they start in the also receiving votes category. It, it, if you start there, it's harder to work your way up in the minds and, and sympathies of people. So now we know that it's not the BCS anymore; it's not based on computers or, or the rankings um, from where you, from where you start or where you finish or where you are at. It, it's all a playoff committee, but. If there is something, I think, to, to the thought that if you start at 10, um, you know, I think, say, Boise State, if they started at 10 um, and they and they trip up halfway through the year, you still, in the back of your mind, if you're a voter and if you're responsible for placing teams in bowl games and, and in the college football playoff, you still, in the back of your mind, look at that team as a preseason top 10 And that might, whether you like it or not, affect the way you view the team and the way you ultimately vote on the team. You, uh, I think, Mike, are a little more passionate about this and and you you know a little bit more about the kind of ins and outs of this than I would. I guess I'll give you the floor and let you kind of speak on the AP poll and its impact on postseason and ultimately season results. For a group
0: of five teams? Well, as far as the preseason poll goes, I really don't think it has – I know the G5 teams complain, but I don't think it has as much of an overall effect on them. And that's mostly because uh, even with the new playoff system, the NCAA has made it abundantly clear that none of them are ever getting into that playoff, at least not until it goes up to maybe eight, which is where I think it should be, but that's beside the point. I mean, you've got UCF going undefeated, didn't get into the playoffs. Western Michigan goes undefeated. They didn't get into the playoffs. So it really doesn't matter whether they start at 15 or start unranked. They, the voters made it pretty clear that they weren't getting in no matter what. Uh, as far as the preseason poll goes, I think it matters more to exactly, as you said, not the maybe not the blue bloods, but the, the middle of the pack, the, the teams who are traditionally good schools in P5 conferences but are maybe picked to be third or fourth in that conference in the beginning of the year maybe they get hurt a little bit by being ranked in the twenties while someone, you know, in their conference or in a rival conference who's supposed to be maybe second place is like eighth or ninth. And then they outperform that team, but they just can't make up the ground. So I I really think that if anybody gets hurt, it's those teams, it's the P five teams that are supposed to have a good year and end up having a great year. Now, Uh, you can make a point or I can go into my bigger diatribe here.
1: No, no, keep going, because I want to hear the diatribe.
0: Okay, the diatribe is that I think where the G5 teams really get hurt is that as the season goes on in the Associated Press poll, if you're a Power 5 team, especially in the last few years, it's just really, really, really hard for you to ever get devalued once you get valued. Every week, in the middle of the week, when you see uh, Big Ten and ACC and SEC and Pac-12 play start up, and you have a team that's at number five, and they get knocked off by an unranked team in their conference, what happens? They drop, but not a ton. They drop to maybe 11, maybe 12, and all of a sudden, that team that beat them is now ranked, and if they win again the next week, they're a top-20 team, And, and it's just really hard for them to lose or lose spots in the rankings, and really easy for them to regain spots if they just win the next week. Whereas, and I know I'm going to hear the strength of schedule argument, but strength of schedule be damned. You know, a G5 team that just keeps on winning, no matter who it's against, impressive or not, they just don't get the credit for winning. And God forbid if they scrape their way into the top 25 and had a close win or any sort of loss, they'd just be off the cliff forever.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's fair. I guess, like, I think – more than fair, Mike, that is uh, factual. There, there's results and, and numbers to, to back that up. And there, are, and there aren't it's, it's,
0: not, yeah, it's not that I'm arguing, you know, the one Sun Belt team that was ranked last year in App State. I'm not saying that App State had Alabama and Georgia and LSU on the schedule. What I am saying is that they won a bunch, and then when Georgia Southern beat them, and I'm glad for it, I'm glad that they weren't ranked again but you know they never they never had a chance of ever being ranked again they could have won out they i think they did win out didn't they maybe they lost one more but no no they won out and they weren't ranked at the end of the year they won a bowl game decisively they won the they won the conference championship and they weren't even all that close to being in the final top 25 whereas if you're Let's say, I don't know, you're an SEC guy. Who's I, supposed to be, like, the fourth best team in the SEC? So I,
1: yeah, so I always think about, in terms of that, like I always think about who, who is the uh, you know, third, fourth best team in the SEC West. The SEC East, I, I, I'm not going to consider. I mean, this year they will
0: yeah, be better, but um, until someone decides. Wait, say, to say Texas A&M. They, they've come out of nowhere before, right. and they're a good team this year. People expect them to be pretty good this year, but nowhere near as good as Alabama and LSU. But if they start out 5-0, 6-0, you know they're going to be top 10. And if they lose, they'll be 15. If they win the next week, they'll be 12. And if they win the next week, they'll be 10 again. It's just way too hard for the P5 teams to lose their status and way too easy for everybody else to drop it. Yeah, and
1: for me this year, and let me be clear, I think we're, we're talking about the AP poll in terms of, I, again, it's not the BCS anymore, so it's different now. It doesn't have a direct impact, but this is like you know the way teams are viewed in people's minds and the voters uh, who make up these polls. I think of teams like Nebraska, who's number twenty-four in the preseason AP this year. Um, Nebraska qualifies certainly as a blue blood program. This is a mm-hmm. four-and-eight team last season. So since they went four and eight. Now they have been rewarded. No games since going four and eight, they've been rewarded with a number twenty-four
0: ranking. Exactly, I yes. have no doubt they could be that good, but they have no reason to be ranked right that high.
1: But on a neutral field, if you take a healthy App State, and I'm using App State because
0: you know, as we noted, well, no, that's healthy. a that's a good yeah. that's a good comparison. That's a bowl-winning conference championship team. They went what eleven and two last year. Yeah. Haven't lost a bunch of anything other than a coaching staff. So why did they not get the benefit of the doubt of bringing all those guys back? Why shouldn't they be ranked up? Right. So Nebraska receives
1: 154 votes uh, to rank them at number 24. On the other hand, App State received five. And so yep. that difference there, uh, if you lined up on a neutral field, App State and Nebraska, would you know, sink in your mind what you would put the spread at. I, I don't know that the spread would be proportional to the difference between 154 votes and five votes. So something I agree. is wrong
0: there.
1: And I'll, I guess I'll leave it there, Mike, Unless you want to touch on it anymore.
0: What's that? No, no. I think I think that was a good case. I, you, you put it right. There's, of course, there's some benefit of doubt given to traditionally good teams, but Nebraska. It doesn't matter how good they were under Tom Osborne. They weren't a good team last year. Were they getting better? Yes. Did they get so much better that you should rank them in the top 25? Probably not. Did State do well enough last year and bring enough back that they should deserve some consideration? As much as I hate to say it, yes.
1: Yeah, I'm with you. We'll leave it right there. And um, So if you're an State fan uh, listening to this on accident...
0: Uh, don't, yeah, save it. Save it. Put it in your archives. It might be the last time I speak well of you, at least for the next few months. But yeah, no, they're a real good team. They're the team to be in the Sun Belt for sure. All right, let's
1: um, let's wrap it up, Mike. you I want to know how to follow you and where to
0: find yourself? Yep, uh, you can find us uh, in print on in the Statesboro Herald. Uh, you can look us up on statesboroherald.com. dot uh, com. We've got videos we run out the Eagles Nest, especially that covers all your Georgia Southern football. Uh, that runs on our website at Southern dot com, or I'm sorry, uh, uh, statesboroherald.com. dot com. And then uh, on Twitter, you can find me at Harold G.S. Sports. Awesome. And for us on the Savannah Morning News Inn,
1: uh, obviously we want you guys to rate, subscribe to this podcast, share it with your friends, um, and tell them that if they don't listen to it, you won't be friends with them anymore. Um, Find all the stuff that we're doing for Georgia Southern and and the coverage we're offering for their athletics uh, at savannanow.com. And go on there uh, today. Sign up for this Georgia Southern extra newsletter what we'll do every week is we'll send out a free newsletter. It comes to your inbox uh, the middle of the week, every week. And when you get around to it, when you have time, you click on it, and it gives you a rundown of four, five, six stories uh, for Georgia Southern. And that way, before you click on it, before you subscribe, before you do any of that, you can look at it and see you know what it's all about and see it, for you if it's worth it. So I think the Georgia Southern Extra newsletter is something you guys should all be uh, subscribing to this year. Uh, you can do that by visiting savannahnow.com and then find me on Twitter at JadonSportsSN. Alright guys, we appreciate you listening to this episode. We'll be back next week to start previewing LSU and get you guys ready for the season. Not long now, guys.
0: Oh, yeah. Adrian Peterson is taking care of things right now. Down the sideline. If he can get loose, he's gone. Iligwe will score.
1: The Wesley Fields. Touchdown, Georgia Southern.